Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. My name's Adrian. I'm a registered dietitian and the owner of Bodymetrics Health and Wellness Services, which is an outpatient nutrition practice. We have seven dietitians on staff. We actually have two massage therapists on staff as well. And a question I get often is what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? And to be honest, It's a great question because it can be confusing. In fact, the credentials behind my name are registered dietitian, licensed dietitian, nutritionist, so RDLDN. And that nutritionist part was recently added, oh, probably in the last five years or so, because there has been so much confusion. You know, is one preferred over the other? What does one do versus the other? And so... Up until a few years ago, I would consider myself a dietitian, not a nutritionist, but now they have added that extra word to our credentials. A dietitian is somebody who has gone to a university for a set amount of time. At this point, all dietitians are required to have their master's degree, and then they go to a They follow an internship program, it's about 900 hours, followed by sitting for a national exam. Uh, Dietitians are known in the medical community as the nutrition professionals because of the vigorous course load that we've gone through and the testing. We do have to um, get continuing eds every few years, every two years to maintain our state licensure, and then every five years for our national accreditation. Uh, Nutritionist, like I said, historically was more of a a certificate program, somebody that knew about nutrition, but nutritionists are not able to uh, work in hospitals. Uh, Only dietitians are, and dietitians are allowed to bill for what we call medical nutrition therapy. So we have an outpatient nutrition practice, and when we bill your health insurance for the visit, we bill under medical nutrition therapy therapy. All right. And I tell you all this, number one, because if you need a dietitian or you have questions about your nutrition and health, uh, we'd love to be that source of information for you. You can just go to bodymetricshealth.com and learn more about us, more about our providers and schedule an appointment. The other thing, the other reason though, why I'm talking so much about our credentials is In this podcast, I do a lot of speaking of like the behavior modification part of nutrition and weight management, teaching you the why behind your habits and maybe how to change those habits. But there are also podcast episodes where I just give you science information, whether we're talking about a specific disease like diabetes or PCOS or explaining metabolically and physiologically. And from a physiology, oh my goodness, I am struggling with that from a physiology standpoint, uh, what 
is happening in your body, um, because of the extensive training that we've been through, I am able to give you that education. And today's episode is going to be one of those science episodes. Today we're talking all about your metabolism. What makes up your metabolism? Can you change your metabolism? Uh, You know, you may have heard that person has a fast metabolism and can eat whatever they want. But what does that even mean? And if you've been around the health community long enough, you've heard the word metabolism, you've heard the word calories, but I don't even know if most people are aware of the definition of these terms, what comprises uh, both your metabolism, your body's ability to burn calories, uh, what are calories, right? Like we've never done a podcast episode on this before. So today is the day where we are going to dig deep and we are going to put on our scientist lab coats and we're going to get all in the messy science words. So I'm going to try to make this as simple and easy to understand as possible because I'm a big fan of simple. Uh, But I do want to give you the scientific terms for some of these words that we're going to be talking about today. So if you want to grab a pen and paper just to organize your thoughts, uh, I'll try to do a lot of review, make sure I'm very clear. But I do want to also use the words that we learn in, you know, in the medical field. So that way you have some more education. You deserve that much. So let's start out with what makes up your metabolism, or I should say, first, what even is metabolism? Okay. So metabolism by definition is the chemical changes that take place in a cell or organism. And honestly, these changes are what make energy, the energy needed to grow, reproduce, stay healthy, For a lot of us, when we use the word metabolism, we're basically talking about the amount of energy your body burns, okay? How much energy your body burns is what we consider your metabolism. Now, we measure the amount of energy your body burns in calories. Calories are a unit of energy, And if we're getting into the nitty gritty today, we actually measure them in something called kilocalories. If you remember back to, I don't know, late elementary school, early middle school, when you started learning about the metric system, you learned about grams and and kilograms. Remember, there are a thousand grams in one kilogram. That was the conversion. Remember that? You had to like move the decimal over to the left or to the right, depending which way you were converting. So when we talk about units of energy in the nutrition realm, we actually are talking about kilocalories. When I do calculations on a client to see what amount of calories they need, um, whether it be for a specific goal or, or weight loss or weight gain, I'm always calculating in kilocalories or kcals for short. But what the rest of the world, when they talk about calories, they just use the general term calories. But I want you to know that calories uh, is actually kilocalories. So if you ever see something uh, in a medical journal or an article that says kilocalories or kcals, that's just another word for calories, what we use. 
And how we determine kilocalories is by doing a calculation. What is the amount of energy, heat, required to raise one kilogram of water one degree Celsius? Okay, and that's how we, we figure out calories in our foods, what we're eating. It's all based on this measure of energy. Okay, so metabolism is the chemical changes that take place in our body, the chemical changes needed to grow, reproduce, stay healthy, the amount of energy our body burns, and we measure that in the unit of calories. Okay, are we all good so far? All right, so let's look at what are the components of your metabolism, okay? So if we're gonna talk about your overarching metabolism, we use this terminology called TEE, total energy expenditure. This is the total number of calories you burn over the course of the day, right? Now we don't usually go up to other people and say, what's your TEE, right? Do you know how many TEEs you, <laughs> you burn in a day? No, we just say, how many calories do you need? How many calories do you burn, right? But the technical term is total energy expenditure. And your TEE, your total energy expenditure, can be broken down into two different components. Your REE, which stands for resting energy expenditure, and your NREE, which is your non-resting energy energy expenditure. So how many calories you burn over the course of a day can be divided by the amount of calories you burn at rest and the amount of calories you burn in motion. Okay, your REE and your NREE. Sound good? All right, I'm going to break down each of these categories a little bit further, all right? So I want you to think of like a chart where you have TEE at the top, and then you break down that TEE into two segments, REE and NREE. Right now, we're going to talk about REE, your resting energy expenditure, or as some people like to refer to it, your basal metabolic rate. Basically, what your basal metabolic rate, or your BMR, is it's a measure of the amount of calories your body burns at rest. We calculate your BMR ideally in a fasted state. That means when your body doesn't have any food in it, uh, any alcohol in it, or caffeine, because these all can skew the results. All right, we actually can measure your BMR through different, um, different ways like um, in-body scanning, uh, underwater measurement. Uh, there's a couple different ways that you can measure BMR. There's something called the, um, I think it's called the bod pod, um, where it's this uh, chamber that you sit in and it measures your B basal metabolic rate, your BMR from that. Um, at Body Metrics, we do body composition screens where we uh, have you stand on a machine and it measures your basal metabolic rate. Uh, this is really, really helpful in our practice. You can measure BMR strictly by weight, 
um, which is what you would do if you would go on a computer calculator. Like if you just type in BMR on Google search, it'll come up with a whole bunch of calculators that are based on your height and your weight and your age and your sex. And it'll give you an estimate of how many calories you're burning at rest. Um, but ideally, your BMR is dictated by your weight, but also your lean tissue. So your lean tissue are things like your muscle, your water, your skin, your bone, basically everything that's not fat. And a regular scale does not differentiate between your lean tissue and your fat tissue. You need a special machine to do that. And so we can measure your BMR more accurately by having a machine that differentiates between the two. Your regular bathroom scale at home is just a total culmination of your weight, everything you're measuring, the fluids, the muscles, the bone, all of it, the fat. Okay. So we know that your basal metabolic rate is primarily dictated by your lean tissue. And your basal metabolic rate is the amount of calories your body needs to function for your heart to beat, for your lungs to inflate, for your organs to work. All those processes that happen in your body that you have zero control over, right? You don't tell your pancreas to produce insulin. You don't tell um, your red blood cells to regenerate. You don't do any of those things, but they all require energy. And in fact, your BMR is your largest contributor to the amount of calories you burn throughout the day. The average person, we're talking about 60% of their TEE, their total energy expenditure, comes from their basal metabolic rate. Now, if your BMR is primarily dictated by your lean tissue, which is your muscle, skin, water, bone, there are some things in that you can control and some things you can't. Like the amount of skin you have, the amount of bone you have, like after 20 something, you're not making any more bone. You're just trying to hold on to what you've got. So part of your lean tissue is out of your control. But some of your lean tissue is, like your hydration, how much water you drink can be influenced. Your muscle mass, right? Your muscle is a primary driver of your basal metabolic rate. When you hear somebody say, oh, I just have a fast metabolism, I can eat whatever I want, they typically have a leaner, more muscular build. And so they're tearing through calories faster than somebody that has... Um, uh, a higher body fat percentage. They're not burning as much um, because they don't have as much muscle. Now your muscle decreases with age. Like if you do nothing to preserve the muscle mass you have, there will be a natural decline throughout your lifespan. We know this to be true because you can't eat the same way in your 60s as you did in your 20s. Any person will tell you that. Oh, my metabolism used to be so high because you had a lot of lean tissue. You had a lot of more, you had a lot more muscle mass in your 20s than you did in your 60s, probably because you were more active. You were growing, right? That helped, that contributed, right? But then when you got older, you became more sedentary, 
and you naturally lost some of that lean tissue and therefore your metabolism slowed down a little bit. So this is why you hear all these people recommending do some type of weight training. You know, if not to build, just to preserve what you have. Ideally, you want to be engaging in some type of strength training activity two to three times a week. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be using really heavy weights. You could be using your body weight. You can be doing things like wall sits and planks and and push-ups and, you know, using your own body as its resistance. But if you have weights, that's not a bad idea either. Okay, so part of your BMR, you have no control over whatsoever. And some of your BMR, you have a little bit of control. But this BMR, your basal metabolic rate, makes up 60% of the amount of calories that you burn in a day. A lot of us like to think it has, you know, the more exercise we do, the, the greater weight loss we will have. And it's like, well, it contributes, but it's not as much as you think. We'll get more into that when we talk about exercise. But I just wanted to go over this um, because your, your resting energy expenditure, your REE, which is made up of your BMR, that has the biggest influence on your total energy expenditure, okay? So your REE, we, when we talk about your REE, we talk about your basal metabolic rate. And ideally, we wanna preserve the muscle that you have. If your goal is weight loss, then the goal isn't necessarily total weight loss, it's really fat loss. When somebody comes into the office and they tell me they want to lose weight, they're pretty much telling me they want to lose fat. Nobody comes into my office and says, I want to lose muscle. I feel like I'm too big. I'm too strong. (laughs) Nobody says that, right? Fat loss is very different than weight loss. That's why we do body composition screens in our office because we want to make sure that people aren't tearing down muscle during their weight loss experience. Because if you tear down your muscle too much, it's going to then influence your basal metabolic rate, which obviously, since we talked about it, influences your total metabolism. Now, it's true that with weight loss, especially considerable weight loss, you're going to lose a tiny bit of muscle. But we try to minimize as much as possible. If you're doing weight loss programs that are very fast and you're losing dramatic amounts of weight very quickly, it's inevitable that you're losing some protein and a lot of, a lot of water, which nobody is, you know, if you get on the scale and you see you're down 10 pounds, that's really encouraging. Like, yes, I lost 10 pounds. But if you figure out that what you lost is water and muscle, I don't know if I would be so excited about that. So that's why I think it's really important to do these body comp screenings so we can make sure that what you're doing is actually working and we're not being fooled by a lower number on the scale. All right. So for a lot of our clients, those body comp screenings are included in their sessions. Uh, But if that's something you're interested in checking out, you're like, okay, I don't want to meet with a dietitian. I just want one of these body comp screens done to see where I'm at we can do that as well. Just give us a call, schedule an appointment, and we'd be happy to meet with you. All right. 
So hopefully everybody's good on the REE side of things, right? We've got REE and NREE, which both, when you add them together, equal your TEE, your total energy expenditure. So we're going to set aside REE, and now we're going to move to the other section, the NREE, okay? And the NREE, the non-resting energy expenditure, is the amount of energy used above and beyond what is required when at rest. So this is your movement. This is your deliberate, your intentional movement. Remember, basal metabolic rate, that's measuring how many calories your body burns at rest, sitting in a dark room, not moving. But most of us are not bedridden. Most of us are moving around or increasing our caloric burn in some manner. And so we're going to talk about the three different ways, the three different areas that fall under the NREE umbrella. All right. So we have something called the thermic effect of food. Then there's exercise. And then there is non-exercise activity. Okay. So we've got three different subdivisions of the NREE. We got one subdivision of the REE. We've got three subdivisions of the NREE. So let's start with the thermic effect of food. All right. Sometimes known as TEF. All these abbreviations, right? It's hard to keep them, uh, keep them in mind sometimes when there's so many of them. So the thermal effect of food is the energy used to process and store food. Okay. When you eat, it requires energy. It takes energy to break down your food. It takes energy to metabolize it. It takes energy to put it in storage. And so we call this energy the TEF, thermal effect of food. And this can be anywhere between 5 and 15% of your total energy expenditure. We've got your BMR, which is about 60%. And then we've got your thermal effect of food anywhere between 5 and 15%, depending on how often you eat, the quantity of food you eat at each meal, right? If you eat a lot of food and you eat very often, you're obviously going to be burning more than somebody who eats sporadically, skips meals, and eats very large portions, right? It just makes sense. The more you eat, the more you have to process the more energy that will require. Now, what's interesting when we talk about different macronutrients, remember macronutrients are carbs, proteins, and fats. Protein has the highest thermal effect of food, the highest TEF, meaning your body burns more calories digesting protein than any other nutrient. That's followed by carbohydrates and then alcohol, and then fat is at the end, okay? So there's a lot of information about eating more protein in your diet, right? Protein uh, is helpful in recovery. Uh, it's helpful in building muscle, but not only does it help rebuild muscle, right, which increases your lean tissue, but it also burns more calories to digest. And so making sure you have an adequate amount of protein in your diet can be really helpful depending on your goals. All right. So that is one part of your NREE, 
right? I told you there's three. That's number one. Number two is your exercise. This is your intentional movement. And you might be surprised to know that this is actually a very small contributor to your TEE, your total energy expenditure. So let's do some math. So let's pretend that you like to walk three miles three times a week. That is your exercise. Let's say for every mile you walk, you burn 100 calories. So you're burning 300 calories every time you walk, which is three days a week, for a total of 900 calories a week, which is great. But if I were to take those 900 calories and divide them by seven, just to see on average how many calories do you burn a day, it would only be 128 calories. 128. That's not very much, right? You're thinking, oh, I'm doing so great. I'm doing all this exercise. And you are doing great. But when you break it down and do the math, you're only burning an additional 128 calories a day. We know that the average pound is about 3,500 calories. So if your nutrition stays the same, you're not doing anything different with nutrition, and you start walking three days a week to burn 900 calories, it's going to take you quite a long time to lose a pound. Take you about four weeks to lose one pound if the only thing you do differently is walk three days a week for three miles at a time. And this is why people get really frustrated with weight loss because this should be going a lot faster. You know, I thought if I exercise, I was going to see all these big returns. And it's just a little slower than that. Okay. But again, I want to make sure that your expectations are realistic. So when you decide to either add something or subtract something from your, your health or your diet or your exercise goals, you know what to expect. And I am not here to say that exercise is not important for weight management. It's actually been, well, it's been found through research that exercise is a great way to maintain your weight. It's not necessarily a great way to lose your weight. It's a great way to maintain your weight. But I will argue all the other benefits of exercise, right? I love exercise because of how much better I sleep, of how much better I'm able to manage my stress, about my mood. I feel good when I move my body. Um, my blood pressure is pretty great. My blood work's pretty good. My blood sugars are fine, right? Because exercise can be really helpful at lowering your cardiovascular risk and your risk of diabetes. So there are so many things that we you know, we don't give exercise enough credit for, but weight loss is probably not at the top of the list. And that is okay. I've often read if we could bottle up all the effects, the positive effects of exercise and put it into a supplement, it would be the number one selling supplement ever. And I believe that. And it can help with weight loss, but you just have to put it into realistic terms, all right? For 
cardiovascular health. The recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate activity a week or 75 minutes of vigorous. That's just to keep your heart healthy. But if you are looking for weight management, we double those numbers. So if you're looking at 300 minutes a week of activity, that's going to be a lot more than 128 calories a day. That's about 60 minutes, five days a week. And that's when it might start influencing your weight if your goal is weight loss. But exercise is a contributor to how many calories you burn. It is. You burn calories when you work out. Now, you will notice that you burn more calories doing cardiovascular exercise than you do strength exercise, which is why I think a lot of women err more towards the side of cardio because they see a greater caloric burn if they're measuring the calories burned during an activity. Strength training doesn't have the high return that cardio does, but what it does do is it preserves and builds your lean tissue, which influences your basal metabolic rate. And remember, long-term, your BMR has a greater influence over the amount of calories you burn than your intentional exercise. So if you're playing the long game, which I suggest you do because it's the best game, (laughs) you want a combination of the two. You want to you know, get your heart pumping, but you also want to preserve that lean tissue so you can influence your basal metabolic rate. All right. So we have your thermal effect of food, we have your exercise, and then there's one third component that falls under your NREE. And that is something called NEAT, N-E-A-T, or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And so NEAT is your informal movement. This is walking to the bathroom, bending over to pick up laundry off the floor, doing dishes, and basically telling you my day every day, every night when I get home or my weekends, Uh, fidgeting, right? Shaking your leg when you sit. Those are all informal movements that also burn calories. And your neat is a much larger contributor to your metabolic burn than intentional exercise for the majority of people. Now, athletes out there that are working out four or five, six hours a day and giving it their all, yeah, I probably would say exercise is a greater contributor than maybe NEAT, but it has to be said that for the majority of us, moving around throughout the day is a much larger contributor than some of our exercise. And let's be honest, some of us aren't even exercising at all, so it's our only contributor. Now, what is also interesting is sometimes when people become more intentional with their exercise, their NEAT goes down because they find they're, they're more tired. You know, when you have a great workout, you may initially be, you know, have all this energy, but then as the day goes on, you find yourself more sedentary because you're exhausted. So in that case, your NEAT goes down. Ideally, when it comes to exercise, we want all three branches to be present. We want the strength training, we want the cardiovascular, and then we also want the NEAT, you know, where we would say, get your 10,000 steps a day, just keep moving. 
And when we can put all three together, that's usually where the magic happens. But if you're not doing any exercise right now, just starting with one of these three components can be really, really helpful. Okay. People that have a really intense day job, right? Somebody that has a, a highly physical job, they're going to burn a lot of calories under this neat umbrella. A lot more calories than somebody who just is sedentary and sits on their butt all day. So under the NREE, we have the thermal effect of food, we have exercise, and then we have the NEAT. And these are all the parts of the, like I said, the NREE. And that in combination with the REE is what makes up your TEE or your total energy expenditure, which is the total calorie total number of calories you burn over the course of the day. So my clients that come to see me come to me for a bunch of different reasons. Some come to lose weight. And so figuring out what their TEE, TEE is can be really helpful because then we can create a deficit. And if I have clients that come in to see me, like a lot of my athletes who want to gain weight, Knowing what their TEE is can help me calculate a surplus so that they can reach their goals. It's very important to note, though, that this number isn't static. You know, if you gain weight, then your metabolism will also um, will be higher. Your TEE will be higher because it will require more calories to maintain the weight that you're at. Also, the same is true for the opposite way. When you lose weight, your body needs less calories to maintain. So the deficit is only going to work until your body has adapted, and then you may need a further deficit. When I worked at the hospital and taught a weight management course, as people were losing weight, I would have to give them less calories. And they'd always be like, it's like you're punishing us for being successful. I'm like, I'm not punishing you. You're just in a smaller body, which doesn't require as many calories as it did when you were in a larger body. So it's important to note, too, that these numbers can change depending on where you're at in your the process of reaching your goal. Okay? But hopefully now you have a greater understanding of what makes up your metabolism, all these different components. Hopefully today you've learned something in terms of the terminology and the science behind your metabolism and can use this information and knowledge to help make your next best decision based off of what your health goals are. But obviously, if you have more questions about what you learned today, I want you to reach out. I want you to ask me. Um, if you want to know what your basal metabolic rate is, you can come in for a body comp. If you want to know what your TEE is and you know how much calories you should eat to put yourself in a deficit or a surplus, we are happy to help you. All right. We're excited to help you. We love what we do and um, would love to partner with you in your health journey. All right, guys. Um, I need to give you your recipe for this week. I just made this the other day and we really enjoyed it. It's a one pan creamy chicken and gnocchi 30 minute meal dish. All right. For this recipe, you're going to need a pound of chicken tenders, 
a teaspoon of Italian seasoning, a little bit of salt and pepper to taste, two tablespoons of olive oil, eight ounces of sliced mushrooms, 16 ounces of potato gnocchi, a half a cup of chicken broth, one cup of milk, four cloves of garlic minced, uh, another additional half a teaspoon of Italian seasoning, five ounces of fresh spinach, and red pepper flakes to taste. Now the best thing about this meal is you're making it all in one dish. So that means you're only washing one dish, which is always a good thing. All right, so first step, you're gonna season the chicken tenders with the Italian seasoning, a little bit of salt and pepper. You're gonna put the olive oil into the pan and you're gonna cook your chicken tenders through. Uh, about five minutes on each side, low to medium heat, uh, making sure that you're reaching 165 degrees internal temperature. Remove the chicken from the pan and then next add your mushrooms and saute for about one to two minutes until they are lightly browned. Go ahead and take the mushrooms out of the pan, stick them with the chicken, and now we're gonna make the sauce. In the empty skillet, we're gonna add the gnocchi, the chicken broth, the milk, the garlic, and the Italian seasoning, and we're gonna bring that to a boil for about five minutes. Next, we're gonna add the spinach, cook on medium heat for about five more minutes until the spinach wilts, and add in Add back in your mushrooms and chicken and you are ready to go. I hope you enjoy it as much as our family did. All right, guys, that's what I got for you today. I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrian Delgado, and I'll see you next week.